Hi there, everybody. This is Tracy Merlone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am here with a very special guest today. Michael Sunset has written a book about his journey divorcing a female narcissist. We don't get to talk to very many male um, victims and those that have come through the other side. Michael had some pretty terrible things happen, scapegoating the lies, the um, false allegations, the uh, financial abuse. There's so much in his book that I think that you all need to read it, but I brought him here today and we're going to start to look at some of the things that he went through and maybe his experience can help you. Men do get abused. So let's welcome Michael. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I really wanted to talk to you because so many men um, go through what you went through, and um, I want people to understand how painful it is because narcissistic abuse doesn't just happen to women. Right. <laughs> so let's just start with the basics. So you wrote a book. The book is called A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Manipulate, Narcissistic Abuse, the Psychological and Emotional Torture You Don't See Coming. So obviously there's a story behind all of this. So let's start off with the basics because what I want people to understand is we didn't marry a monster. They turned into one. So when you first met your wife, what attracted you to her? Um, I thought she was an attractive person and um, we were playing cards actually at a mutual friend's Super Bowl party. And she was just laughing, joking around like she was one of the guys, and that that's really what attracted to me or her to me. Fun and exciting. But yeah. did, how long did that last? When did you start to see the crazy? Well, I mean, the person's not bad all the time. So, I mean, in the beginning, it was, you know, vacations and a good job, and um, family members had a great job and seemed like they really had it together. Um, but as time went on, I'd, I would say right around the time of being engaged and living together, mm -hmm. um, the ring was not big enough. Um, so that was one thing, but at, you know, there was kind of a devaluing, everything wasn't good enough, um, gifts or whatever it was. So it, it started to shift, but again, they're not bad all the time. Right. So there's something that kept, kept you thinking it's going to get better or hey this person can be reasonable and um that wasn't really the case right right and, and it's the intermittent like kindness and then like what was that that we just like struggled yeah. with in the beginning because we we just like got engaged to them we're not going to go oh i'm just getting used to living with them we make excuses did you make excuses as well yep yep it's real easy to do that so how long did you end up being married for it was about three and a half years before it fell apart, and then it ended up being a total of five years with the divorce process dragging out. Wow, so it took a year and a half for the divorce? Yep, the separation and divorce, and a lot of that was just getting continuances and dragging things out, and um, like I said, it was torture. Yes, you know, these narcissistic divorces, my book is coming up, and, and it has to do with you can't make this shit up, because you yeah. People just, you say the things and they're just like, no, that didn't really happen. Um, so you have a child with her as, as well, right? Yep. 
Okay, so let's let's jump into the book and start to talk about. I, I know that in the book, I read it um, over the last few weeks, and um, I think it's a really helpful, like sort of a documentation of what happened and and how horrific it really got for you. So let's start off with some of the things that maybe you were accused of. Um, well, in the beginning, I was accused of having a mental illness, so I I kind of stood up for myself, and it was a a, not a reasonable request. She had asked me for $50,000 to stay home and focus on her health. And I set a boundary and said, no, I just wasn't comfortable. I mean, I was, felt like we were being pushed um, financially mm -hmm. um, past our means as, as it was. Mm -hmm. um, so I needed a psych eval evaluation because of that. Mm -hmm. And wow. I needed therapy. So I did go see a therapist and he said, you're very logical, reasonable, level-headed, but you need to bring your wife with you. So my ex-wife brought my sister behind my back and the therapist called because he needs my permission. Mm -hmm. Hey, your sister's here. And I said, well, you know, I have nothing to hide. That, that doesn't make sense, but um, yeah, you have permission to talk to them. So my sister and my ex-wife had this theory how I'm having a manic episode of bipolar and that didn't add up to the therapist so he was not a competent therapist and i needed to have a psych eval somewhere else so i agreed to it and every new mental health professional is just a new opportunity to manipulate and try to convince them that i did have this severe mental illness they were calling you bipolar right yep and my anxiety kept increasing um, depression, things like that. So I actually started to identify with some of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. But did the doctors, you said you, you went to a lot of doctors, did they comply? With there was one that was manipulated by my sister and my mother calling behind my back to say that I was paranoid and suspicious of others and, you know, irrational. And, and, and he, you know, it, when you have people that appear to be loving and caring, saying those things about you, you figure it must be true. So um, I did start to take medication and I wasn't feeling well, obviously, because you're in these situations, you kind of become numb, paralyzed, anxious, and you know something's wrong. Uh, you just can't really put your finger on it right away. Did, did you like, I mean, at that point in the, in the early stages of this crazy, you were being manipulated to think that you had a a personality disorder, a mental disorder, bipolar. Um, yeah. Did you actually feel at any point that like, yeah, maybe I do, or is it just because everybody was ganging up against you? Um, not in the beginning. And I, so I said, look, I'm gonna go and stay with my parents until we get the results of this psych eval back. And so I packed my stuff and I ended up just going to my parents' house because it first came back that it was an adjustment disorder, which is like a situational depression, which are those anxiety, depression, you know, all those symptoms that I actually was suffering from. Um, but as time went on, and then the divorce papers were served and my daughter was being kept away from me, um, then I started to, to believe it because I was sinking into a severe depression. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, anybody would get depressed if they were held away from their child. Um, yeah. 
I read in the book that there were a lot of lies besides the bipolar, you know, diagnosis that like your, your mother and your sister in the book play a big role to the yeah. fact that they were almost ganging up on you with your wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like just getting attacked by a pack of wolves. It, it's, and you're in a weaker, vulnerable position and they, instead of supporting you, which they, are saying, oh, we, we're just trying to help you. And we just, you know, it's the opposite of help. You know, I said, we can't substitute the word help for abuse anymore. No, uh, no. And it seems that, um, I mean, you, you moved back in with mom. So did it increase and, and get crazier when she, you were there? Um, well, then I started to have a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep just because of the stress. And I would sleep fall asleep either on a recliner for like three hours or on their couch. And then, you know, I would take clonazepam or whatever medication to try to calm down. I would wake up in the middle of the night, take it again and fall asleep for another three hours like, in a spare bedroom. So, I mean, I was completely isolated. I didn't feel like I had a lot of support because they, I just felt like I was alone. Mm -hmm. Well, you were, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so what happened next? Where, where did the lies go? Um, well, they went to the court system, uh, tried to make me out to be, you know, mentally ill and not a fit father and not responsible because our daughter has a pet allergy and she's coming home with a rash on her butt from the pet allergy. So I later had her tested for a pet allergy and she didn't have one. Um, so it was just, Kind of one thing after another in uh, co-parenting counseling mm -hmm. sessions mm -hmm. and I just felt like I was defending myself and I just got to the point where it was so exhausting from defending myself I just fell into that severe depression and checked myself in and said you know, I, I can't do this on my own anymore I need help and went to an intensive outpatient program um, and she actually used that to try to go after sole custody and more evidence of why I had this severe mental illness but she didn't get sole custody at first. I mean, she didn't get that, right? She didn't. But one of the mistakes that I made when we first went to court, um, we had a temporary custody order that she wanted with three, three hours on Wednesday nights and then every other weekend with no overnights. Um, any reasonable request I had, she would just say, I disagree. And, you know, how they have, nurses have a, disagreeable personalities. So anything reasonable was, I disagree, I disagree. And somehow that was okay at family court. Um, so I was encouraged by the lawyers to sign a temporary custody agreement that gave me three hours on Wednesdays, every other weekend with no overnight. So my recommendation to people, if it doesn't seem reasonable, I, I wouldn't sign it. And the lawyer just said, it'll, it'll take us a while to get in front of a judge. So you know, you should just sign this to have something in place. And um, that, that was just difficult to hardly see my daughter at all. It, it just made the situation worse. And, and it's difficult to undo that. When, when we accept an early plea like that or, or an arrangement on a plea, but when, when we accept something that is three hours on Wednesday and every other weekend, then when you go for more custody in the actual divorce, was that a harder battle? Because they're like, well, you had this time, how did that, you know, manifest? 
Yeah, it was difficult. So I came out of the um, intensive outpatient program, started to have Wednesday night and every other weekend um, with our daughter. And I signed that as a um, custody order. So I had Wednesday night and every other weekend, which isn't a lot um, for somebody that has the time and really wants to be involved with their daughter. Um, but then the actual divorce was dragged out another nine months. So I had to try to get a little bit of time. She said, well, he can have dinner on Monday night. Well, he can, you know, it's like little crumbs of like they feed you just a little bit at a time. So it went all the way up to a trial, a two day trial that it was scheduled for. And she had some tactics to try that there are in the book of trying to get as much money uh, um, as possible that she could out of the divorce. Um, so it was clear she didn't have our daughter's best interest in mind. She wanted to get the child support. So she had that, um, but it, it was tougher. And I did get a couple more dinner nights thrown in, mm -hmm. but it still was, you know, 25 to 30% of the time is, is not a lot. So where does it stand now that the divorce is over? Now it is a shared parenting plan because I went back. I had us both psychologically evaluated. I learned as much as I could about narcissism. I found a high conflict lawyer that understands narcissism and um, these types of personalities. And our, our uh, case went right to the high conflict pile and we had a full custody evaluation with psych evals. And I was able to lay out um, exactly how the relationship in parenting went and, and an experienced evaluator was able to, to catch it. Well, that's good. Yeah. I find that the parenting plans with um, with a normal lawyer that's just writing down lines, they, they aren't quite as detailed as they need to be because they always seem to find a loophole and they always seem to take advantage of you. Is that something that you thought that she was doing along the way? Oh yeah, I mean, she, her and her lawyer, her lawyer was very aggressive and maybe had some of the same type of traits. Um, where mine was more willing to compromise and reasonable and that that's not what you want in these situations mm -hmm. but she had written in I needed to get a quarterly letter for my mental health and just things that are not written into any custody order that it was very strange and then of course once it flipped and they learned that she had a personality disorder she didn't want anything about mental health right into it wow. so it, it um, was really interesting the way that it, that everything happened. Yeah. And, and I, I remember reading in the book that um, at one point, and I don't know where this was in, in the, the spectrum of things, but at one point she was the supervised, did you have supervised visits, but she was the one that was supervising them? Yeah. So when I was in that intensive outpatient program, which was, um, you know, a number of group therapies, during the week for a period of about six weeks, um, she would come to my parents' house and she would be the supervisor for the visits for about 30 minutes to an hour. That was very uncomfortable. I, I had asked if we could have a neutral person and um, they allowed her to be the supervisor. So I just kind of had to deal with it. I have yeah. never heard that. I have only heard of the objective people because generally on a supervised visit, I mean, they are taking notes. I've seen the notes in, in, in cases where, you know, okay, mommy just 
you know, gave the children, you know, four bites of crackers and a this and, and everything is detailed. Um, and this couldn't have been a situation if she's just sitting there staring at you and making you feel awkward and you can't really be with your daughter the way you want to be. Yeah, it, it was, it was uncomfortable. It, it was tough. Um, how do exchanges go now? I know this isn't even in the book, but I'm just um, crazy. Yeah, and I, I didn't really talk about it in there, but um, for a while I would pick her up either at her parents' house or her house, and I would advise not to go into the house for anybody if you have to, or don't be alone with them and the kids. I would pull up on the curbside and pick her up that way, just because the false accusations and the he said, she said, I just wanted to avoid all of that. and. Um, they're not bad now. Oh, good. good. It's, it's about yeah. finding a plan that works. But um, yeah. I know in the book there was some things, in, and I actually highlighted them, so I'm going to read. So okay. your wife basically did a lot of parental alienation tactics to you that you list in the yeah. book. Um, and, and it says the worst one was mommy technically wants you to get sick so she can have all the time with me. Um, and then she said, you know, I feel like mommy froze my heart. Mommy says you lie all the time. Mommy says daddy's house isn't really my house. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, I would be, she would get a little hostile with me and my daughter and, you know, tell me I was a bad daddy. And then, you know, sometimes I asked to call you and mommy says it's past your bedtime. And it was, you know, she made an effort not to let me um, call to say goodnight. You know how if you're, if you're calling somebody, and the phone cuts out after one or two rings, mm -hmm. you know, somebody kind of hit that button on the side of the phone to hang up. So that was happening. Um, there was one time on Thanksgiving, I said, you know, she said, call me on Thanksgiving and they were at Disney and I tried to call a couple times. And then the next day, my daughter told me like, she left me a really nice message. I said, oh, I didn't have a missed call from you or I, you know, I didn't have a message. So you can kind of put it together that she would let her think she was calling me and it went to the voicemail and she would leave a voicemail thinking she would was leaving the voicemail for me but it really wasn't she really wasn't calling me so you know you have the phone calls you have medical appointments i wasn't notified of medical appointments she was trying to keep me out of her life as much as she could yeah wow well i'm glad that you yeah. won that battle and i hope that it doesn't continue um because once an alienator always an alienator um, and fighting that is never fun, but you've seemed to be in a groove where you've, you've got good time with your daughter and that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough to defend against. I think it will always continue. And, you know, I believe that my mother is on this spectrum somewhere and she still talks, talks negatively about um, our father, but, you know, they are still together. He's, he's not going anywhere. He chose to stay. Mm -hmm. um, that's just kind of how it's always going to be, but so how's our relationship with your mom and your sister and you now? Um, well, they just, you know, we're not allowed to talk about it. They don't want to talk about anything, but, you know, they had a lot to say, but they don't want to process, you know, the, the issues in a healthy manner. So you kind of observe the behavior for four years and you see that it's not going to change. So, you know, you just have to change the way that you look at it. And, um, you know, I'll still make time for our daughter to see them, mm -hmm. um, but I do, I limit the contact and I limit the time. It, it, it is difficult. You know, she attends their, um, they run a dance studio and they kind of manipulated to 
have her attend the dance studio and summer camps all summer and trips to the beach house and you know my daughter does want to do those things so I, I kind of have to suck it up yeah and that that cuts into your time right it your does time, but you're still willing to do that which is really the whole thing I mean her grandparents are her grandparents and so you're doing the right thing that's noble yeah definitely I mean if it wasn't for our daughter I'm not sure I would have any contact with them well, it's got to be so hard um, so let's talk about something else what being a male and I don't get to have very many male I coach lots of men but I don't have very yeah. many men who have been survivors and gone through this and look at it from a high perspective like you're looking down on it now not in the fire as as some of the people are um, how did people react to you and I know you, you said your friends were kind but um, you know I'm how do I say this that that very often men don't get believed for being abused how did people react to you yeah if I started to talk about it and people that think my mom and sister are these wonderful people and you know my exes you know has it together and they don't really know the whole story um, I was looked at a little bit differently or you know you, you talk about this a lot you know, and people that haven't been through it they, they don't really understand so yeah. it, it's tough you kind of have to stick to people that understand or therapists somebody that that gets it or my identical twin who also witnessed everything was was a really good support person but um yeah yeah some friends from home kind of looked at me differently and and you know that's that's just how it goes you kind of lose you learn that you you lose toxic people and you learn lose some people that maybe didn't have your back and find out who your true friends are and true support people are I, I heard something last week um, and someone said that trauma changes you forever. Can, can you? Absolutely. How yeah. and where it changed you? A hundred percent. I don't know. I mean, I used to be very competitive. I was a three sport athlete. I was more focused on the external rewards and, and that's, I guess, just how to get validation from the family that we grew up in. Um, but now I think I don't have much of an ego at, at all. I just kind of look at things neutrally. Mm -hmm. Just just not so focused on myself, just focused on the big picture a lot more. Do you think that, that you'll trust people the same as you did before? Well, that's been the toughest thing. I think it's just knowing that this isn't your fault and forgiving yourself, building trust with yourself. You can't build trust with anyone else until you build trust with yourself. and. You know, I was went from disconnected and dissociated to more connected and uh, and present, and and that's been huge. So I'm just starting to to connect with people, you know, much better and better late than never. I mean, 38. It's it's kind of late, but <laughs> it's yeah, better late than never. Ahead of you, I had 20 years on the <laughs> and all this. So, um, you know, it 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 is actually going to change you for the better because you're gonna be more cautious, you're gonna be more careful, and, and yes, you might be less trusting, but that's a, a protective not trusting, right? You're gonna wait till they prove that they're trustworthy instead of freely giving our trust again. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So let's roll this up and say, what is the most 
important thing that you want, let's just say men to know about going through this and, and surviving out the other side like you did? I mean, I think the, the best way to defend yourself is actually to not react to, to this type of abuse or, you know, through text messages or, you know, the natural reaction is to try to reason with people and, and that actually doesn't work. It actually makes things worse. Mm -hmm. um, so by not proving your point, just kind of sitting back and finding a way out. So I think living under the same roof, I don't think you can be healthy. You're, you're probably not healthy. You know, you need to separate yourself and, and kind of observe from a distance for a while. And then you'll see that everything starts to change. You get healthier and you'll realize, you know, why was I so upset? Why did I miss this person so much? This is just not a good person for me. You know, you have kind of withdrawal symptoms, I think, in the beginning. Um, and, and that lasts for a little while. But you think if I go back, I'll feel better. Maybe it'll get better. But that, that's not the case. You need to keep going away. Yeah. yeah. And when, once you, you see it, you really can't unsee it. So right. it becomes really hard. I mean, a lot of people go back. A lot of people just say they miss them. They promise to be good. They promise they'll go to therapy. And as you've proven, that didn't work so well. But, um, you know, no. the trauma that you have been through is something that has shaped you for the better. And whether it feels like it when you're in the fire pit or, you know, you wait a few years and you get through the other side and you find yourself stronger. You wrote a book. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you feel like it's never going to turn. It's never going to get better. You know, how how am I going to get through this? And then it just, it changes. You just have to just keep pushing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the, the show today, Michael. Um, we're going to put the link to your book down below. As I said, I read it in the last week or so. It is worth reading. It is really helpful to identify and say, oh, that's happening to me, or that will help protect me during this part. He's got a lot of helpful advice. So um, we'll put the link down below. And thank you so much for joining me, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great interview with Michael, and I hope that you all learned something. And this is for the men out there. You are not alone. And this is a journey that will end and you are going to have to defend yourself and you are going to have to um, get through this. But I promise you one day the other side will be there and you will be like Michael. Maybe you'll write a book. Maybe you'll just help others. Let's see you be a Sir Thriver. This is Tracy Malone. And if you have any needs for um, some resources, maybe looking up some where support groups are or how to find a right therapist, visit my website and we will help you get the answers that you need. Thank you so much and have a great day.